talking about uh, this morning, to walk as children of light is not a new call. This is an ancient call. This is one that, honestly, we were supposed to be doing from the very beginning. And so this morning as we, we talk through this and look at the Word of God together, I want you to realize what is being stated here is not new, but it is very sound. That what we are called to do to walk as children of light, that God is using us to accomplish that which we were supposed to do from the very beginning, to glorify God with our lives. But this morning we're going to look at Ephesians 5 verse 7 and following through 14, and we are going to look at what does it mean to walk as children of light? What does it mean to walk as children of light? As you'll see, I have four summary points that summarizes for us of what Paul is saying. And God, through him, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying this is what it means to walk as children of light. What it looks like according to Ephesians 5, 7 through 14. So if you haven't turned there already, if you would, turn with me to Ephesians 5 through 7, 14. And, and I'll begin where we ended last week, Ephesians 5, 7. It says, therefore, do not become partners with them. Now, obviously, if you've not read the previous verses, it's, it's hard to understand the antecedents. What, what, is, what is Paul referring to? Well, therefore, points back to what's come before. And, and what he's saying is, we are not to become or be, the, the verb there can actually mean become or be. So, in other words, not only in the future, but in the present, partners with, and if you look in the, in the verse just before it, with the sons of disobedience. So Paul is looking back, and he's saying that we are not to be partners with the sons of disobedience. Very specifically, if you look back, you start seeing in, in the verses just before that he lists, as we've, we've studied over the last few weeks, sexual immorality, all impurity, uh, covetousness, idolatry, uh, speech and how we use it, it, not crude joking, not filthiness. I mean, he lists these things. It's like, don't participate in those because you're to walk as children of light. Notice what verse 8 tells us. It tells us our first point, that we do not participate in the things of darkness. So if we're going to walk as children of light, what that means is we do not participate in the things of darkness. Verse 7 builds on that, and then verse 8 reads, For at one time you were, what? Darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. And then he says, walk as children of light. The first thing we need to understand that what it means to walk as children of light is what is carried into this passage from the verses before it, and that is we do not participate in the things of darkness. We don't participate in the sexual immorality, in the covetousness, in the impurity, in the use of speech in vile and filthy ways. We don't partake of these things, to use the word that gets translated. These are not to be that which we participate in. Notice the reason expressed is there in verse 8. It says for, right? Okay, don't participate. Well, why? Now, I realize, again, that could be a statement of obvious. Well, obviously we shouldn't, but Paul makes it very explicit why we're not supposed to. 
And he actually uses a contrast between darkness and light. He says, for you were darkness. Notice what he said there. Did he say you were in darkness? No. He literally says you were darkness. Now, it's also true you were in darkness, and I was in darkness when I was part of the sons of disobedience, those who disobey God. But Paul is making a very explicit point that you were darkness. He's making an identity statement, a nature statement. This is who you were. You were darkness. And then notice the contrast. But now you are not in the light. What does he say? You are light. Your very identity, your very nature is changed when you are in the Lord, when you come to Christ, when you are, to use Paul likes to use the phrase, in Christ. Something fundamentally changes, and that fundamental change in nature and identity, Paul says, is the reason why you are not to be partakers of these things with the sons of disobedience. Fundamentally, it doesn't fit who you are. And so Paul says, do not participate in these things because who you are is different. If you look back just a, a couple of chapters, you'll see that Paul in, in, may remember from the sermons now long ago, but the sermons on Ephesians 2 where it says in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, and you were what? Dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You hear it? People in darkness were what? Dead. In verse 3, among whom you all once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by what? By nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What I want us to see, what Paul has carried out of Ephesians 2 here in Ephesians 5 is that word darkness, he is using as a summary way to describe what he just said in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. You are dead people living in sin like the rest of the sons of disobedience, like the rest of mankind. But then the contrast, what he says is light, is in 4 and 5 of chapter 2, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were what? Dead in our trespasses and sins. Even when we, to use the phrase here out of Ephesians 5, even when we were darkness, it's our very nature and identity, when that's who you are, right? It's interesting because I want to say, dead sounds passive, doesn't it? Dead people, you don't generally consider a threat to you, do you? But when you put it in the active voice, it's not just a dead person. It is a person of darkness. That, that changes a little bit, doesn't it? Doesn't, the, doesn't the, the feel of that get a little different? I don't worry about a dead person, but Paul says, let me explain to you what it means to be dead in the spiritual realm, it means you are darkness. There's a real threat to it. There's a real danger to it, right? And Paul says in Ephesians 2, 
4 and 5, he goes on, he says that, he says, even when you're dead in our, in our trespasses, what did God do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. What I want us to understand is what Paul is doing here up front in Ephesians 5, 8, as he set up what it means that you were darkness and you are now light. If you have not embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior, the statement's very clear. You, to put in the present tense, are darkness. That's the way Scripture describes you. Now, I realize that is not a comfortable feeling. I realize that may bring a feeling of condemnation. I realize you're going, well, who gives you the right to say such and I, I only say the word of God is what says that this is the true state of where you're at the way scripture describes those who are who have not embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior it says you're dead it's the reason why we celebrate as Christians the opposite because we have come to realize not just if you don't know Christ not just are you in darkness we were darkness we were just like you. This is not a, a statement of superiority. This is a statement of celebration. But now we are what? Ephesians 2, ver, 5, or excuse me, Ephesians 5, 8 says what? We are light. Why? Because we are light in the Lord, in Christ. We celebrate because we are no longer dead. We are no longer darkness. We are now alive. We are now light. So the condemnation, if you don't know Christ, that you feel is not because we don't wish you to be among us. It's actually exactly the opposite. Our hearts break. You're not one of us. Embrace Christ. This is how you, you are delivered from darkness. This is how you change your identity. This is how you enter into the realm of light. You embrace Christ. You know, when you look at darkness, darkness is... Uh, very serious, and of course, if your notes are upside down, that doesn't work. Just someone write that down. Darkness is the domain of evil, sin, Satan, and death. I want you to understand this, that biblically, when we speak of darkness, it is the domain of evil, sin, Satan, and death. That's how to understand that word darkness. Just give you some verses that will help us make the case for that. In Matthew 4... Verses 12 through 16, it reads, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. This is our Lord. So Christ hears that John has been arrested. He's eventually going to lose his head over it, literally. And he withdraws to Galilee. And then in verse 12 it says, And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might, might be fulfilled. And you're wondering, your Bibles, if you have a study Bible, you'll see it. It's Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. Isaiah wrote that the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Isn't that great? He's going to go to the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness, having seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. You hear darkness there is what? It is the region of death. 
In John 3, 19, our Lord, as he's talking to Nicodemus, tells him, here's Nicodemus, the great, one of the great understanders of the law, one of the great teachers of the law who's come to Christ, said, you're a teacher of the law, you're a rabbi, tell me what, what I'm supposed to understand. And one of the things he tells him in John 3, 19, and this is the judgment, this is our Lord speaking to Nicodemus, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, He's actually referring to himself. And people love the darkness rather than the light because why? Their works were evil. You see, darkness is the domain of evil. And so the heart by nature loves that which is opposed to God. Or in in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Isn't that interesting? He's going to do what? He's going to show that what's hidden in darkness and will disclose. Okay. You see the parallel? Where's the darkness at? It's in the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God there's a reason why Paul can say we were darkness because it literally describes the condition of our heart not only dead is a way to describe it it is darkness because it is opposed to God he goes on in 2nd Corinthians 4 6 for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see it there? What you, why he can describe us in Ephesians 5a is we were darkness and now we are light. Because you see this in Paul's language in First and Second Corinthians. Darkness was the domain, was the domain of the heart. And now what light? That's what happens. What, what happens when Christ comes into the heart. It changes us. 2 Corinthians 6.14, Paul goes on to write, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Okay, I know this verse. You probably know it. It's probably the verse used most often. And what does that teach us? That a, a believer should not be married to an unbeliever, right? That's, that's probably where I've heard this verse all the time. But don't miss the reason, the why. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with what? Lawlessness. Or what fellowship with has light with darkness? Do you see the parallel? Light is paralleled with what? Righteousness. Darkness is paralleled with what? Lawlessness. Sin. It's, it's, it's paralleled with rebellion. See, light is paired with righteousness, darkness with lawlessness because it's showing to us what is darkness. It is lawlessness. It is a rebellion against the law of God. Don't don't miss that. Lawlessness doesn't mean they don't follow any law. It's actually referring back very specifically to God's law, to to the law that should be followed, right? Because that's the actual rebellion. I'm I'm rebelling against God himself. And then Ephesians 6.12, you already saw it earlier when I, when I was reading out of Ephesians 2, and it, it talks about that the, the, they're the prince of the air of darkness, but, but listen to Ephesians 6, which we'll preach on more later. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, darkness is the domain of spiritual forces of evil. I want you to understand that when Paul uses darkness, he's using a summary term to capture evil and sin in the realm of Satan, that he says that is what possesses a heart that's turned against God. And that's why we need Christ. I mean, just think about this on a very basic fundamental level. Even the strongest, greatest among among us, can they really overcome evil and sin and Satan himself? and the depths of darkness in their own heart. I think anyone in an honest moment says, man, I can try hard, I want to, I struggle against it, but there there is no way I'm ever going to overcome that. And see, here's the deal. This is how the Holy Spirit works. For those that embrace darkness, and now sometimes this is the thing about us, darkness doesn't always look evil. You know why? Because the other thing is we're blind. You can't see it the way it really is. And part of the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit is when he works in our lives and he starts to show us and he's working and all of a sudden we realize, I do not want that. That effectual calling of the Spirit to start revealing sin in our life and we realize that will destroy me if it hasn't destroyed me altogether already. Some of you walk that path. Unfortunately, You didn't see it coming, maybe you should have, but what happened is you realized the destruction of sin, and that's what God used to drive you to Christ. You know what? Praise God. I'd rather you suffer in this world for the ravages of sin that would drive you to Christ than to suffer in eternity never knowing him. That is a mercy from God, not a punishment. Some of you, you, you've been very fortunate. You were raised in such a way or you just your circumstances, maybe even the kindness of God, just kind of your natural bent, led you to be scared of the sin. You're like, I don't want it. And you realize, I don't want that. And this Holy Spirit were in your life to draw you to Christ through that conviction. The point being is this, is realize we all are entirely incompetent and entirely unable to fight darkness without Christ. That's true about us that know Christ. That is true about those who don't know Christ. That doesn't change. Do not be so arrogant to think just because I now know Christ that somehow I can fight darkness on my own. That's not how it works. What we realize when we read this is that unbelievers by nature live in darkness. It's where they live by nature. If you don't know Christ, it is your natural state to live in this realm of darkness. And that's why Paul will say, you were darkness, or he would say to those who don't know Christ, you are darkness. This is not meant to be some condemnation statement just to make you feel bad, to where we can be superior. Because those who know Christ, what we find out, the more we know Christ, the more we realize sin infects our life. See, one of the great signs that you're following Christ is you realize 
all those little nooks and crannies in your life that start, God starts showing you where sin's at, sometimes it's a deeper feeling of struggle with sin, not a lighter feeling, because you realize, man, I didn't realize that sin there. I didn't realize that sin there. I didn't realize that sin there. I thought that sin was God. It seems to be back. Why is it back? Over and over and over. It's not a statement of superiority. What we're doing is we, we, we call out to those that are in darkness is a statement of desperation from us saying, no, Christ. This is the way to come into the light. You know, as, as you look at this, not only are unbelievers by nature in the darkness, you see this affirmed, you can see this out of this passage, you see it affirmed by 1 Peter and by John. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, verses 7 through 10, it says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, right? So notice Peter uses the word that John likes to use, believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. The very nature of those in darkness destines them to disobey God. It's what your nature does. You probably remember the old, the old story. There's a, I've heard it told either um, the scorpion and the frog or the scorpion and the turtle Frog works better because a hard shell is hard to get a stinger through. Scorpion and a frog. Scorpion needs to get across the river. He knows he can't swim it. He finds the frog and says, hey, could you give me a ride across the river? And the frog's like, why would? No. You'll sting me. The scorpion's like, why would I do that? If I stung you while we're swimming, we'll both die. The frog's like, that sounds logical. They start swimming about halfway across the river. Pow! Scorpion stings the frog. And as they're going down, the frog goes, why did you sting me? And the scorpion just goes, it's my nature. You see, when your nature is darkness, your nature is going to be to sin. That's, that's how it works. And so it destines you. It destines you to rebellion against God. You will disobey his word. But then... Here, verse 9, but you who are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of who? Of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, what you need to see is that by nature, darkness may lead you to rebellion against God. But if the Spirit's drawn you, you hear the call of the gospel, respond because it will change your very nature. In John chapter 3, verses 16 through 20, Jesus, going back to Nicodemus and Jesus, he writes in verse 16. I probably don't, I, I don't even have to read it, do I? You're like, why well, are you going to read it? We can all just most of you quote, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. By the way, that is the amalgamation of the King James Version and the New American Standard. You're like, there's no version that says exactly that. Yeah, I know, because I'm trying not to put an if on the end of certain words, and you know, but I still love the word begotten. It's just a great word. Because um, it says so much, but that's another sermon. We don't have time for that. So verse 17, though, right? For God did not send his son into the world to do what? To condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned <clears throat> already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 
Let me stop there. You see, Jesus did not need to condemn the world. Do you know why? We already condemned ourselves. Our Lord did not need to come and bear testimony against us and say, you're sinners. He could, and he did where needed to, to confront sin, but the reality was that we already showed by our very nature as those of darkness, we condemned ourselves. There is no, I, no one here needs to pronounce judgment of condemnation on another who does not know Christ. They, they condemn themselves. And let's be clear, those of us that know Christ, we condemned ourselves. And so what we need is not one to condemn us. We need one to save us. And that's why when John writes, as he's capturing, he says, so, so, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. It's a powerful passage. But a lot of times we get stuck at 316 to see Christ didn't come to condemn us because we had already condemned ourselves by our very own behavior, actions by our very nature. We were children of wrath. That's Ephesians 2, right? By our nature, we're standing under the wrath of God. But God sends his son that he would save us literally from ourselves. That's who he's saving us from. And from the wrath that the Father rightly extends against those who rebel openly against him. But God is so kind that he would save us. You see, because what it shows to us is that you don't have to stay in the darkness. You can be in the light. The second thing is to say this, is that not only are we to not participate in the things of darkness, secondly, those who are going to walk as children of light, also this means we seek to discern and do what is pleasing to the Lord. Notice, it's not just enough not to do something. We are actually going to do something in turn. We're going to seek to discern and do what is pleasing the Lord. Look at verse 9 there in Ephesians 5. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, in verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So Paul says, look, what you need to do is to seek and discern what is pleasing the Lord. And here's how you do it. What Paul is doing is he's giving us general guidelines he doesn't list out every detail, but he gives us these, this general guideline. If you want to know what it means to seek after, discern what is pleasing to, to the Lord, you need to seek that which is what? Good and right and true. Now, the words there, and we won't spend a lot of time this morning, but just to give you an idea of what he's getting at, the fruit of light, right? We always, if I say the fruit of, what word do you want to put in there? The spirit, yeah, that's what, because we always talk about Galatians 5, right? Interesting enough, by the way, they have some early manuscripts. It's actually what it says. It says instead of the fruit of light, it says the fruit of spirit. Because they're like, oops, that's what should be there. But no, Paul's talking about light and darkness. They're using parallel here. And, and what you see is parallel ideas. So good. What does the word tell us? There's only one who is good, and who is that? God. That's Mark 10, 10, 18. Right. But seek first the kingdom of God and his, and that's actually the same word, his righteousness. What's interesting is the way that, that if I kind of literally translate the word, I say you need to seek goodness and righteousness, right? How do you discern what is righteous? You seek the kingdom of God. 
or true in John 14, 6. I am the way, the, there's the same word, the true one, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. My point being is what Paul has done is he's, he's, he's just encapsulated. If you want to seek the light, to do that which is right in the light, what you're going to seek is ultimately Christ. Because this is the one that shows us true God. This is the one that shows us true righteousness, right? This is the one that shows us true goodness. It is Christ. And Paul says, as you are seeking to discern what it looks like to walk in the light, to do that which is pleasing to the Lord, he's basically telling us, look to your Lord. See what he does that is good and right and true. That's the general principle to help you understand the way to live this out so that you can walk in the light. So if you're going to walk as your light, not only you must, you, you must seek to discern and do what is pleasing the Lord, the third thing is we need to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Okay, for you non-confrontational people, you want me to skip this point. <laughs> this is not, this is the, uh, uh, can we talk about the, how we ignore it and make it go away principle, Right? You ever been there? I've, I've been there. Maybe if I just ignore it, it'll go away. Yeah. This is not what he's getting at. Notice in, in verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Expose them. Now, just a, an interesting picture that's going on here, that, that word that we've already seen earlier, we did, we did with point one about not partaking of evil with the sons of disobedience, right? Of, of not doing that. That word, um, when it says there in verse 11, to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, it, it's got an interesting word picture when you look at it. Some of the, the ancient Greek manuscripts outside the Bible use this word. And it, it is the idea of doing the exact same thing together with. It's actually used, for example, to describe uh, three women that were sentenced to die, and it was to do it in exactly the same way. That's, that's that word that you are partaking together in the identical thing. And so Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't partake together with them. Because implicitly, if not explicitly, you're basically saying, this is what those who walk in the light do. Which is a contradiction of your very identity. You, you don't walk in the things of darkness. But instead, what you should be doing is exposing them. Now, the word exposed there, it's, it's used elsewhere in the New Testament. It's not merely exposed and, as uncover. Uh, let me read a few verses. John 3.20, again, our Lord. John 3 just helps us so much here. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed, shown to be what they really are. Or John 6, 18, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's the word conviction, to convict. 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. Repute, I can't even get the word out, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Then notice, with complete patience and teaching. Hebrews 12, 5, and, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved 
or exposed. It's the exact same word by him. Here's my point. Is that this verse is telling us that we have to expose sin for what it is. Now the question is, how do you do that? Right? Now, some of us that are full-on confrontational people, we're like, I know how to do it, you know. And we're just, we're going to bull in a china closet approach, right? And I've already alluded to some, some of us are just hoping if we ignore it, someone else will expose it and it'll go away, right? Dear Lord, send the Holy Spirit in their life, amen. I mean, that's, that's probably one of the prayers that we have, right? P.S., do not use me, um, <laughs> right? The reality is there's a very balanced view in the way that Scripture sees this. And I think this is very important to us in the life of our body, including on how we evangelize others. Do you remember our Lord and the woman at the well? You remember what happens there? She's all by herself. Why? Essentially because she'd been married so many times that now she wasn't married, but she couldn't figure out which one was her real husband anymore. That's the story, right? Isn't it interesting? Our Lord doesn't say, I'm the Messiah. That's not how he leads. How does he bring her to recognize who he is? He points out, you now live with a man who's not your husband. Isn't that interesting that our Lord confronts sin before he tells her, by the way, there's a day coming, you're going to worship, and you're going to worship me, basically. My only point is that by example, our Lord actually shown us that exposing sin is an act of bringing the gospel. Exposing sin is not about getting a pound of flesh. And for so many of us, that's what really motivates us if we're just honest. I just want their comeuppance, right? I just, I just want them to get what they deserve. Praise God, God didn't think of that about us. You see, Hear that, that verse again in 1 Timothy 4 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with, not partial, with complete, or we might put the word utter, utter patience and teaching. Confronting sin doesn't mean that at every turn I remind you. Okay, this, the word doesn't have in there, it doesn't, in the Greek it doesn't mean nag him to death, right? That's not what it's saying. But it is saying you're looking for opportunities that you can graciously confront the sin of their lives. Now, let's be honest, confrontation of sin is painful, typically on both sides. So most people aren't going to initially respond, thanks, that, made, that was great, I'd appreciate if you'd confront my sin more. That's not the natural reaction. Why? By nature, they are what? Darkness. But what God is doing is he's using our lives to expose that. So sometimes it's through word. Sometimes it's through deed. Say, I'm sorry, I can't participate in that. And then they'll ask you, why not? Well, because as someone who follows Christ, that's not something I can participate in. And that may open up a broader conversation that now my words testify to my life and why I follow Christ and what that means. The other verse that I think is helpful is understand how God worked in our salvation and how he works. Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance 
and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. There are kind ways to confront sin, and there are unkind ways. And part of what you're going to have to do is pray for the discernment on how to do that in kind ways while also confronting sin. Now, sometimes that means you you wait patiently for the right moment in time, right? Guys, if you think your wife did something wrong, don't tell her right as you're going to bed that night. Your next morning will not be pleasant, right? Ladies, works the same way, okay? My point being is there is timing involved. There is wisdom involved. But what it doesn't say is don't confront the sin. But we need to be a people of patient kindness. Because we're not just looking to say we're the holier than thou's, the more righteous than you are. We are trying to say to them, we don't want you to be in darkness. We want you to be part of us, the people of light who know Christ. You see, if you look at verse 13, what it tells us is that exposing people to the light is exposing them to the gospel. It's not just about telling them they're wrong. They have to hear the gospel. Verse 13 says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, right? You're revealing something about it. But you just don't want to say, look, you're wrong, it's sin. You, you want to say, but here is what the gospel does, what our, what our God did so that you might be saved, and that's why he transitions into to the last verse, 14, and my fourth point and last, that those who are walking as children of light means we lead those in darkness into the light. We don't just condemn them and say, you're, you're out there in darkness. We literally want to proclaim and lead them to the light. Verse 14 says, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, that last phrase, or it's a quotation, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We're actually not exactly sure where it comes from. There's all kind of theories, but we can't prove any of them. Some of them think maybe Paul was trying to summarize large portions of Isaiah. Um, looking here. Some things this may have been an early Christian hymn, but the point here is it really doesn't matter where it came from. Paul's trying to make a point with it. He's saying anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That is, walking as children of light means that we are sharing the gospel with them. We, what I mean by this, and let me try to connect this, we are making visible, that which is visible, or excuse me, that which becomes visible is light. If sin is truly revealed and we really see it and the spirit works, it will show to us that it's truly sin and then it can be truly light and that then they can come to Christ. If you don't, I mean, let's be, the word salvation or you need to be saved makes absolutely no sense if you don't want to be saved from anything, Right? If you don't be saved or anything, what are you saving me from? So you have to understand the depths of sin. But once that's made and exposed, he says, that's why we're calling out. Notice how he, he calls them a sleeper. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Remember what we said about darkness? How, how Ephesians 2 describes it? 
darkness, when we were in that realm, you were what? Dead in your trespasses and sin. Look, what's going on here is, and this is why I think it's so important for us to understand, it's not just about exposing the sin, it's about bringing the gospel. Because we are crying out to that person and saying, awake, arise from the dead, Christ will shine on you. Now the reality is, can you or I raise anyone from the dead? No, but what we can do is proclaim the gospel. And I think this is what Paul is getting at here. Tell them of the gospel. This is how you can be saved from darkness, from sin, from evil. Embrace Christ. Put your faith in him. And I go back and why do I say that? Well, Paul recounts his own calling by Christ. And in Acts 26, 15, it reads, and, and Paul is talking to King Agrippa and recounting his own conversion. And he says, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen, seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And this is the important part to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Do you hear in Paul's old calling, the Lord is telling them, Paul, expose sin, but don't stop there. Give them the gospel. That's what you're here for. Because walking as children of light means we share the gospel. It means we share the gospel. So let me summarize all this together and leave you with, with this fundamental thought about what does it mean to live as children of light or to walk as children of light. To walk as children of light means this. We live according to the gospel and share the gospel so that others may come into the light so that they may come to Christ. Father, I thank you for Paul and the word that you inspired through him to be written that we might know this is what you expect of us. Father, even demand of us as those who follow your son as Lord. And God, I pray, would you, would you well up in our hearts, not obligation, but joy, that we are those people appointed to be able to go to those that are perishing that are in darkness, that, Father, who, who are darkness because of their, their binding to sin, the depths of sinfulness in heart, that you have given us the great privilege to know Christ and to be those that can proclaim the gospel, that others who are sleeping, who are dead, that the Holy Spirit would use us as the means of grace to proclaim to them, Arise, O sleeper so that Christ might shine on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, if you'll stand with me as, as the, the praise team leads us in